chapter 8 of Genesis, which means in a year's time, we've covered 10 chapters. You remember, it took us nine months to cover three. So uh, we are moving faster. It may not feel that way, but we are. So if you want to start, we're going to do a lot of flipping this evening. So start in Deuteronomy 29. Um, so we're not actually going to read uh, the, the Solomon and Gomorrah story. So I'm, I'm going to assume you're at least familiar with it. Uh, we'll look at it in more detail next week. Uh, so we're really just looking at some introductory stuff. Uh, as you do that, I want to point you to, to this picture here. Um, this little rock formation here is known as Lot's Wife. That's what its official title is. Uh, and it's, of course, named after uh, the Lot's wife who, who remember, looks back upon the destruction of uh, Sodom and uh, got turned to a pillar of salt. And so as people came across this, they, they named it after that story. And it is right around the Dead Sea area. And so, so I just find that fascinating. So that's our official picture for Sodom and, and Gomorrah. Um, let me recommend... Um, if, if you're interested in, in particularly archaeology of this stuff, um, most of the Bible shows you get on History Channel, Scary Channel, National Geographic, all that, they're, they're not worth five seconds of your time. Um, I learned that the hard way when I was a teenager, trying to learn the Bible. Uh, you're not going to learn much about the Bible um, from these channels. But there is one. It's National Geographic. I think it's Secrets of the Bible or I don't know, something like that. Um, but if you have Disney+, Plus, type in Bible. And there's only one show about the Bible, and it's got two episodes. <laughs> so, uh, but the one on Sodom is, is fascinating. I'm going to say I agree with everything in it, um, particularly they, they, they rejected any historicity of Lot's wife uh, turned to pillar of salt. But, um, you know, they, he, he shows, uh, goes down into the inside of a cave, and it's just riddled with salt. And they show that if an earthquake were to happen, and, and this area is, is on a major fault line, um, that... When earthquakes happens, if it's large enough, these caves and taverns would just be lit on fire. Uh, they get out brimstone that's in the area, and they light it on fire. How easily, you know, rock that, that burns, you know, not something we, we think about much. Uh, so it's just a fascinating thing. They, they do go to a site that I think leading archaeologists believe very well could be the site of Sodom or one of those towns. And uh, the guy, his last name is Collins, the archaeologist. From what I can tell, conservative guy believes the Bible has has led the archaeo the the archaeological dig there, um, and found some fascinating things. Um, at one point, the heat was like four times that of the sun, and uh, just just fascinating stuff. So if you like that, you got Disney Plus. Um, try that. If you have National Geographic, they're going to air it sometime this month. I don't remember the date, but so if that's something you're interested in, okay. So let's start here. Uh, how does Sodom function in the Bible? Right? This, this is the big thing I want us to look at uh, this evening is what does the Bible do with Sodom and Gomorrah? Um, I think that's important. It, it's one thing we can look at the text and we can draw some conclusions and, and we will. But what does the Bible do with it? Sodom and Gomorrah is like the flood. Uh, it's like the calling of Abraham, his covenants. It's like a lot of the major stories in the Bible that, that they that it, it, it's bigger than just that, that narrative. Melchizedek is, is an example of that. Right? There's a lot of mystery there, but clearly is, 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 the, is the beginning of a uh, theme in the Bible. So I think it's worth us pausing and thinking about what is, what is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? How does the Bible approach this story? Because if you, if you listen to more liberal scholars, they're going to argue. Uh, in fact, there was one thing I was watching. The guy says, we don't know what the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were. Like, 
you should read the story. I mean, it's pretty clear what, what is actually going on there. So this, this is, uh, we, we've looked at this before, so I don't want to spend forever on it. But it mirrors the story of the flood, which shouldn't surprise us that Genesis uh, makes, uh, it oftentimes uh, hyperlinks back to the narrative that we've already seen. And, and it's developing that narrative because it's showing us that the problem with humanity isn't law, um, it, it isn't society, it isn't culture, it isn't uh, ethnicity or race or gender. It's, it's the human heart, right? Genesis 3. Uh, and that everything in a fallen world is, is corrupt. And you remember the three falls, the fall of man, Genesis 3, uh, the, the, the fall of uh, uh, the, the earth itself there, chapter 6, and then uh, that of, of um, cities and whatnot in, in 11. So, um, so we, we've seen this list before. I just copied and pasted. Uh, from what we did a few weeks ago, uh, the stories uh, between the, the story of the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah have a lot of parallels. A single man and his family escaped divine destruction, right? As it's Noah on one end, Lot on the other. Uh, Noah has three sons, Lot has two daughters. Uh, so you see the contrast being drawn there. Uh, the surviving patriarch is intoxicated after the, the event and is violated by his children, uh, which has generational effects. So you get the uh, uh, tribes and, and nations of Moab and Ammon from, from Lot's daughters, and you get uh, the, uh, uh, the table of nations out of uh, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. The flood is destruction by water. Sodom is destruction by fire. So, so you see the parallels there, but they are, they are in contrast. Unless, of course, you think Sodom is literally under the Dead Sea, and then you can say it was destruction by water, too, I guess. Um, there's an old VHS. I found it on YouTube. I, I've not watched it. Um, my mom and dad got me when I was a teenager, to, thinking about going into ministry. You know, what do you get a, a, a teenager that's wanting to go into ministry for, for Christmas, right? Well, I got an old VHS about the archaeology of Sodom and Gomorrah. The guy finds, like, a, a large area. Uh, he, he gets in a submarine, goes down there, and he says, well, it must be Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He doesn't actually, I don't know how you would dig underneath ground uh, or underneath water, but he just, well, I thought it, there'd be something down here, and there's something down here, so it's got to be Sodom. Okay, uh, but so that's his theory. Um, one is local, the other is universal. All right? um, uh, sexual deviant, deviancy is, is in both. We'll, we'll spend some time on that. In the flood, divine beings mate with humans. Uh, at Sodom, humans seek to mate with divine beings. And so, so this, this is where we're... So I, I'm assuming an interpretation of the sons of God are divine beings, daughters of men are, are women. Uh, now now it's, 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 it's the reverse. Instead of women being violated, it's men who are violating what they perceive to be men, but are actually divine beings, angels. Um, so, so it's clearly a retelling of the flood narrative. And so we were to see that, that even though God uh, uh, hit reset on his uh, Microsoft PC called the earth, um, the same problems that led to the violence and wickedness of the flood are still around uh, in the time of Sodom. And they're still around today in case you don't have a TV um, or Internet. The second thing is... Uh, is that Sodom represents the embodiment of the wicked, particularly wicked nations. And, and this is where we're going to look at a lot of Bible verses. So um, I, 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 I'm going to prove my point here. Deuteronomy 29, verse 16. Starting verse 16, we'll go down to 24. Um, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt, how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed, and you have... 
seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone and silver and gold, which are among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Uh, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be saved, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. By the way, it sounds like revelation, doesn't it? Right? Anyone who, who doesn't uh, respect the, the, what's written here, I will blot them out. You know, the, the curses of this book. Uh, verse 21 um, the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, nothing growing, where no plant can sprout and overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of his great anger? You see what he does with Sodom and Gomorrah there. He said that Sodom and Gomorrah are a picture. It is a warning to you. Don't think that because uh, you've entered covenant with me, you are automatically safe. Uh, that, that if you go the way of the nations, you will go the way of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities. Right? So this is a warning to, to Israel. Well, in three chapters later, chapter 32, we get the Song of Moses, uh, which is uh, a psalm. We, 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 I think at times we don't realize that there are psalms not included in the book of Psalms. Actually, we're going to look at one. It's going to take us at least two weeks to get through it on Sunday mornings in 1 Samuel uh, or 2 Samuel 1. So uh, Deuteronomy 32 Starting in verse 31. For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. The grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Same thing, right? So, so now, now you have the nations, right? Uh, that, they, they, that the spirit of Sodom continues in them. But wait, let me go back to 29. I have to turn there. Uh, he mentions literally brimstone and salt. Uh, and, and the two things you'll find in that area, brimstone and salt, they just kind of show up there. Uh, well, those are, th those are themes in the destruction of, of Sodom. Well, let's turn to one more, at least for now, and that's the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 1 um, now, Isaiah is, is, is not written in a chronological order. After all, the calling of Isaiah is in chapter 6, right? Um, so in Isaiah 1, uh, the prophet here is a fire and brimstone preacher, right? I mean, he, he just lays it out. Um, um, but we just want to look at verse 7 through 11. So judgment has, has, has fallen. Uh, verse 7, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts has not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. 
Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed bees. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. Jesus quotes verse 11 there. Right? Uh, uh, explain to me what this means, right? I don't want your sacrifice anymore. Paul quotes the part there in verse 9. Um, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors. And it's in the context of elections in Romans 9. That, that, that God preserves for himself a remnant of, of believers. This is the message he gives Elijah. Right from Mount Sinai, uh, that he has preserved for himself a remnant who hasn't bowed to, to uh, Baal and Ashtaroth. Um, but you see here that who is the, uh, was he say, the, um, the rulers of Sodom um, and the people of Gomorrah? It's Israel. And, and it was grace that kept Israel from being completely and utterly destroyed. It was grace. Of course, that, that's Paul's point. All of us are like Sodom, but it's grace that, that, that God preserves us. Let me give you a, a few more examples of this, how, how the Bible uses this. That, the, that Sodom becomes a picture, an embodiment of, of the wicked and what God does to the wicked. Um, Isaiah 3, look on their faces, bear witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Um, Jeremiah Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pop of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. So it isn't just Israel is like and to Sodom, but the nations, which we saw in Deuteronomy. So here's Babylon in particular. Uh, I think that's supposed to be, oh, that is Isaiah. Next one's Jeremiah. Uh, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Notice there, he's talking to the prophets. And here's Jeremiah saying, look, it's, 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 it's my dudes who are doing this. Right? I, I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. Um, and of course, when the prophets are like Sodom, the, the, the people become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Lamentations. Uh, we'll talk about Lamentations Sunday morning. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom which was overthrown in a moment and no hands were wrung for her. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Now, it's, it's poetry. It's prophetic poetry. So, so he's expressing the, the, the extent of, of destruction. So I don't think what we need to see here is that God destroyed Jerusalem worse than Sodom. It's, it's poetry. It, in Jeremiah's experience, it's worse than Sodom. All right. Um, Ezekiel 16, and your elder sister is Samaria who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who lived to the south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Right? And so, so judgment is going is to fall down. Uh, Ezekiel, I believe, mentions Sodom uh, quite a bit. Amos uh, 4.11, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me. Okay, that's a, that brand plucked from the fire is taken from is the gospels pick up on that. I believe it's Jesus and Zephaniah. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Moab shall become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah. Now, who is the mother of Moab and the Ammonites? Who, we who are the, who's the patriarch, we should say, of the Ammonites and the Moabites? Lot. It's Lot. Makes sense, doesn't it? So... They, they, they are conceived. So, so, so what the daughters do is essentially um, what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Right? They escaped judgment, but, but they, they, haven't, uh, they haven't left behind the city. Um, uh, we, uh, I, had a, I had a good friend growing up who uh, was from the city. Right? We countrified him, right? Um, and he would always say something like, um, you, can, you can take the city... You can take the city out of the city, but you can't take the country out of the country, or something like that, right? That was, that was one of the Well, what do you hit here with, with Lot's daughters? Is they embody the spirit of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they, they do something that would have been consistently done in Sodom and Gomorrah, or at least would have been tolerated. Uh, I didn't notice that earlier whenever I was reading through these. Um, and you notice there, uh, salt pits. Remember that in, in the... Uh, in the Battle of the Plains, remember Abraham rounds up the troops. Remember what happens to, to the Sodom uh, army and stuff? They fall in tar pits. Right? Uh, and, and that uh, a little documentary special I told you about, they, they show these pits and they wonder, could, could this be describing that? Um, and, then, and then we got uh, in New Testament, Jesus, true that city will be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom more than for that town. Jesus says this uh, in each of the synoptics in different contexts. Um, and, and it is a verse like this where, where people suggest there's different levels of, of judgment, whatnot, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but we notice here that to Jesus, Sodom and Gomorrah is the picture of divine judgment. And he's essentially saying that, that this is how wicked you are. They would repent and believe before you would. Uh, that, that is a hard heart. Uh, 2 Peter 2, we looked at this a few weeks ago. They say essentially the same thing, uh, that they are examples of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Uh, they say essentially the same thing. One more, Revelation 11, 8. Uh, and their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that symbolically uh, is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So, so this is Jerusalem. Right? Uh, where, where, uh, and so if you're a preterist that believes that Revelation is fulfilled in 87, destruction of, of, of Jerusalem, you love this verse. Um, I'm not that type of preterist. I, I'm, I think a lot of it has to do with Rome and a future. But that's neither here nor there. We've done enough of Revelation. So the message of the Bible when it comes to Sodom is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Don't be like Sodom. Right? Is that too elementary? M- maybe, I'll tell you what, our world would do better if we lived by, just started with one rule. Don't be like Sodom. Right? That would be an improvement on like, the entire world, I think. Um, but... Nevertheless, all right, so that's, that's the second thing that the, the Bible does with this. The third thing is it, it, it shows us the complete corruption of Israel, particularly in the time of the judges. And here, I'm going to need you to turn to Judges 19. We're going to spend some time on this. Um, we've, I've shown this before. Uh, I know everyone's forgotten it, and that's fine. Um, but I, I think this will be the, uh, your mind being blown, uh, what, what you're going to see here. But first, you have to be grossed out. I, there's just no way around this. Um, why don't we read the story? Um, let, 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 let me summarize because I don't want to read the whole thing. Um, so I'll do a little bit of summary. So we'll probably start in verse 10. So what you have then is a Levite is going to get his concubine back. This is the, the day of judges. By the way, um, just, just we'll come back to it. Verse 1, in those days there was no king in Israel. Remember that. Now, that's all over Judges, but it's in chapter 19 for a reason. Okay, so just put that in your pocket. 
And later, I'll need you to get it out of your backpack, and we'll talk about it. But first one, so you have a Levite. He is, he is he's going to go get his concubine, who is staying at her father's house. Okay? So um, he um, travels, does all this sort of stuff. We'll, we'll look at the whole story in more detail. But, uh, and you tell me if this story sounds familiar. Uh, he, he is, the father-in-law is very hospitable towards him, brings him into his house. He actually somewhat detains him. The priest wants to leave uh, after three days, but, but the father-in-law won't let him. Um, that's, that's a, um, that actually mirrors the story of Laban, Jacob and Laban. Um, but we're, we're not interested in those parallels. Verse 10, but the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. Now, that little parenthetical note is important, particularly when it comes to dating the writing of the book of Judges, or at least, at least the, the writing that we, we have here in the final form, because uh, Jerusalem is not Israeli uh, uh, territory at this point. Uh, Israel does not occupy Jerusalem until David. So notice there that he, he's going to bypass Jerusalem, if you will, okay, on his way to Gibeah, which is the Benjaminites. Um, he had with him a couple of saddle donkeys, and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over, and the servant said, His master, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites, spend the night in it. And his master said, We will not turn aside the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. And he said to his young man, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night of Gibeah or at Ramah. By the way, Ramah will show up because that uh, Rachel weeps there right in Genesis. But again, we're not worried about Jacob. So they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. That's the tribe of Benjamin. Now, what, do you need to know that if you're just reading the story? No. Is in a city named, uh, called Gibeah. Do you know where Gibeah is? No. This is how we read the Bible, isn't it? I don't know where Gibeah is. Why do I care about some dude named Benjamin and, and that tribe? Let's get on with the action, right? But if you know your Bible, these details are there on purpose. So he's going to bypass Jerusalem. Now, who gives us the city of Jerusalem? It's David. And he's going to go to a city called Gibeah of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, so verse 15, And they turned aside there to go and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in, sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. Notice the lack of hospitality. There is no one in, in this culture where hospitality is everything, to, particularly to travelers and foreigners and whatnot. There is no one to take him in, so he's going to sleep at the city square. Okay. So verse uh, 16, Behold, an old man was coming from his work in the field that evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites. Wait, I thought we'd already read that, didn't we? If, if the people of Benjamin are there, aren't they Benjaminites? Makes sense to me. Well, the men of the place were Benjaminites. Verse 17, He lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going? Where do you come from? He said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judea. Are you seeing where this story is going? Are you seeing some hyperlinks to, to, to maybe the next book? Who's from Bethlehem? Don't say Jesus. There's someone else from Bethlehem. It's called the city of David. This is where David's from. David is in Bethlehem when Samuel comes to anoint him king. Now, who is king when David is anointed? Saul. Let me just ruin the ending for you. Does anyone know where Saul was born? Gibeah of the Benjaminites. All right, you, you're already being just, just your mind's being blown, right? You're, you're going to be blown some more. 
Um, Verse 18, uh, we are passing from Bethlehem, Judea, to remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, to which I come. I went to Bethlehem in, in Judah, and I am going to the house of the Lord, but no one has taken me into his house. We have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your female servants, young man and your servants. There's no lacking of anything. Verse 20, peace be to you. I will care for all your wants, only do not spend the night in the square. So he brought him into his house and gave the donkeys feed, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. So the old man offers him hospitality. You know what happens next? He's in the house, and the wicked men of the city, scoundrels, your translation may say, come banging on the door. And what do they want? They want um, to violate the, the, the man that's been being shown hospitality. Is this story starting to sound familiar? So what does the old man say? This is a wicked thing. Please don't do this. And it is word for word the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Word for word. Uh, you, you can put them together, particularly in Hebrew, is even clearer to see. It shows up in English. Word for word. Men don't do this wicked thing. And they ignore it. The difference here is that in Sodom and Gomorrah's story, Lot offers his daughters... And the irony of the story is Lot offers his virgin daughters to strangers. And later, he is, so he offers to violate his daughters. And later, he is violated by those same daughters. All right, so, 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 so it flips. Right. Here, however, the man offers his daughters. They refuse. So this Levite offers his concubine. And she is violated to the point that in the morning, everyone else goes to sleep. And they wake up in the morning, they hear a noise at the front door. And it is the final breath of the concubine as she dies. And you remember what happens in the story? This is from chapter 19 to 21, all these events take place. Okay? The, the man takes the concubine, not his wife. There is no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, so he takes his concubine, cuts her up into 12 pieces, and he distributes them uh, presumably to, to the tribes and we're not given a message it's just, just body parts are being delivered by UPS and you remember what happens when the tribes receive this they go to war it becomes an intertribal war between the 11 tribes of Israel against Benjamin and they nearly wipe them out but before they go to war all the warriors are gathering and saying, look, we believe that if you don't show up, we're going to come destroy you. And there's a city who didn't show up named Jabez Gilead. So they go to Jabez Gilead and they nearly wipe them all out. The only people they save are the virgin women. And then they go to Benjamin, nearly wipe them completely off the map. But at the end decided to despair it a little bit. So Benjamin becomes known particularly in 1 Samuel, as the smallest of the tribes. Right? This, this is how Judges ends. It, it, things get progressively worse to the point that, that the, 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 the tribes are at war with each other. Okay? So then we open up 1 Samuel, and what do we meet? We meet a woman who wants to get pregnant named Hannah. Her story mirrors that of Samson, Samson's parents, right? It's a miraculous uh, birth. And here comes Samuel, who then is going to anoint the king. And what is one of the jobs of the king? One of the jobs of the king is to anoint 
the divided tribes. Okay? And, and Saul does that. But there's some details about Saul um, we, should, uh, um, we should know. Let me give you just this one verse here uh, to show you how bad this was. And just not in chapter 19, we didn't read all of it. Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Do you think the writer of the book of Judges is saying, this story sounds really bizarre, but it's really important for you to get it. Okay? So what happens? Well, uh, the story tells us that the people of Israel in the time of Judges were becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, particularly the tribe of Benjamin. And remember who Benjamin is. Benjamin is the younger, full-blooded brother of Joseph, Jacob's other favorite son. How far Benjamin has fallen, right? Well, there are some um, parallels here, um, uh, bet- obviously, between Sodom and, and this story. Um, both the angels in Genesis 19 and the couples in Judges 19 arrive at night. In both texts, only someone who is an outsider takes them in. Lot brings the men in, the angels, rather than the people of Sodom bringing them in. Here, it's, it's an outsider bringing the old man's concubine in rather than the, the Benjaminites themselves. Uh, the men from each town uttered nearly identical demands regarding the male guests. In both texts, the men tell, uh, the host tells the men not to, quote, not to commit such a wrong. And both men offer two women up to the mob instead of the man or, or the angels. Um, now, in 1 Samuel, we, we read about the rise and the fall of a man from the tribe of Benjamin. His name is Saul, right? born in Gabeah from the tribe of Benjamin, and he will say, I am of the smallest tribe. By the way, I think Paul says something like that. Someone can, can correct me. Is it in Philippians? I'm from, uh, uh, what's the language he uses? Um, I don't know. He mentions Benjamin. So Paul is, is, is of the tribe of Benjamin as well, who's also named Saul. I wonder why, right? Um, um, in fact, what I think you're getting in 1 Samuel, among other things, is for lack of a better term, propaganda. That is, it is to show us why Saul didn't work out, but David will. Because Saul mirrors what happens to the Benjaminites here. I think I can prove that to you. let me, let me quote from, from these other resources. As scholars have observed, the place names in Judges 19 to 21 line up with known Saul and David reference. We looked at some of those. Gibeah, Ephraim, Jerusalem, stuff like that. Uh, while the places associated with David are depicted in positive or neutral terms. Jerusalem, right? All of those tied to Saul are negative. Gibeah. Thus the Levite receives great hospitality in Bethlehem of Judah... That is where David's born, and refuses to stop in Jebus, Jerusalem. But how is he treated in Saul's hometown? Thus the Levite insists on heading to Gibeah, Saul's capital, where the men turn out to be violent rapists akin to the Sodomites. And here's, here's some other things worth noting. The Levite is shown warm hospitality in Judah, David's tribe. The Levite could have stopped in Jerusalem, which is... Uh, 
And it is, a, it is a missed oasis in the hellish sea of Benjamin. The Benjamin rapists of Gibeah are clearly wicked. Saul, the first king of Israel, belonged to the tribe. And what happens to Saul? He becomes a wicked king. Uh, the Levite from Ephraim is a villain. Ephraim is associated with the renegade northern tribe of Israel that forsook the line of God's anointed David. The old man, also from Ephraim, is yet another villain. He is a villain. He's the one that offers his own concubine. Look, I don't think you should have a concubine. Let me be clear. If you find yourself with a concubine and can't fix that problem, you know, because there's a mom outside your door, that doesn't mean... <laughs> it's a weird conversation. You should just... Right. Your concubine is still made in the image of God, right? He's a villain too in this story. And he's from the tribe that will uh, go against David. And the Benjamite leaders that refuse to attend the tribal assembly and turn over the men of Gibeah are, are wicked. Um, okay. Turn to 1 Samuel 11. 1 Samuel 11. Now, I mentioned um, Jabesh uh, Gilead. Uh, that is significant because we read about Jabesh Gilead last year at the end of our study of 1 Samuel. So remember, Saul dies, right? And the Philistines take his armor and all, all this sort of stuff. Do you know who, uh, what group of people end up rescuing Saul and his body and his sons? It's the people from Jabesh Gilead. The people who were nearly wiped out in, in this civil war back in Judges 19 to 21. You know, in Saul's first military campaign, and we're going to read that part, guess who he rescues? Jabez Gilead. So among the villains in the end of Judges, right, in this whole civil war, there's two, two groups of people nearly wiped out. Benjamin, for what they did to the concubine. And Jabeth Gilead, because they refuse to fight for justice. What does Saul do? He's from Gibeah, and the first people he rescues, as we'll see, is Jabeth Gilead. Who's the people that rescues Saul after he dies? It's Jabeth Gilead. I mean, the connections are just, just, just there. So 1 Samuel 11, uh, 5 to 7. This is that uh, rescue that Saul gives Jabez Gilead. But we won't look at the whole narrative. Just start in verse 5. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. So this group of people saying, hey, we're going to wipe you out because we don't like you. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to this oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. Now, you see any parallels here? Here's Saul from Gibeah is going to go rescue Jabesh Gilead. So it is a few generations prior, just a few generations prior, Saul or Samuel is the last of the judges, okay? So, so you remember that Ruth is David's great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, something like that. So we're not talking about thousands of years separation, okay? So we're looking at just a few generations between the events of the Civil War and Saul being crowned king. So here you have a guy from Gibeah, the place that... Uh, murdered a woman by gang raping her. And the first place he goes to rescue is the people group who refused to rise to the call of justice with the other Israelites. 
Now, when Saul says, y'all, we need to unite, which is the king's job, we need to unite and go to war and defend these people, which is a good thing. How does he send the message out? He takes an ox, he cuts it into pieces, and he sends it to the tribes. The story sound familiar? It's exactly what the Levite does before. And it's fascinating. I love this stuff. You guys can, can be, be. So what, one of the things you're getting in 1 Samuel, perhaps, is satire. The way Saul is depicted in the narrative, rooted in judges, makes Saul out to be a bad guy, because he is. Now, he has triumphs. His first military victory, he fights off the Philistines. But it isn't long before, particularly when he goes to fight the Amalekites, that Saul goes the direction we know he's going to go. Because he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And we all know what the Benjaminites are like. But David, on the other hand, he's from Judah. And he, he gave us Jerusalem. And we all know what an oasis that is. So the story that that you read and you're thinking, that is the most gross story I've ever read in my life. What does that have to do with the price of bread in China? It has everything to do with the price of bread in China, particularly when you're reading the Bible. Okay, one last thing. Fourth thing that what the Bible does with Sodom is uh, it tells us the true meaning of Eden. Uh, This is the story of the Bible, right? We all want to get back to Eden. We all want to get back to paradise. And... When you take chapters 18 and 19 as a narrative whole, because it is. Chapter 18, we spent a few weeks in. It's when God and the two angels show up, and Abraham has a feast and says, hey, you're going to be a father uh, through Sarah and all that sort of stuff. In chapter 19, the two angels go and to rescue Lot, and God, you know, burns down the city. I want you to compare these two passages, okay? The first is about Sodom. The other is outside of Sodom. Genesis 13, this is when Lot decides to go to Sodom. Lot lifted up his eyes. By the way, we saw that same language in Judges 19. I didn't point it out, but it was there. Go, go back and read it. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. Whenever you see lifting up eyes, you need to think of the Garden of Eden. We talked about this back in chapter 13. He saw the Jordan Valley. It was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord. Hello. right? You don't even have to interpret this. You don't have to be smart and, and have, be, be rooted in good biblical theology. It's right there in the text. What Lot sees in Sodom and the Jordan Valley is the Garden of Eden. So uh, it's like the land of Egypt, which is where the story is going to end up going in the latter half of, of, of Genesis. It starts in Babylon and then goes to Egypt. Uh, in the direction of Zoar, uh, Zoar is the city that is spared uh, in, in this story. This was before the Lord destroyed Song more. Uh, spoiler alert. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Remember again in Genesis, if you journey east, you're journeying away from God. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, we're going to see next week in chapter 19, verse 1, Lot is in Sodom. He's at the gate, a place of prominence. So notice here, Lot is in, in an oasis. He's at the garden. He thinks he's at the garden of the Lord. Abraham is stuck with wilderness. And what has been the story of Abraham? Among other things, it is Abram turning a wilderness into a home. 
and is a home where God would dwell with him. We see that in chapter 18, right? And so in chapter 18, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So in this one verse, we see it's hot. He's in the middle of the wilderness. Water's hard to come by. Life is difficult. He's a sojourner. But there in the wilderness is the true garden of God. What is the difference between the Oaks of Mamre, Hebron, and uh, Lot hanging out um, in Sodom? The garden of God is not where there is fruit and vines and water and all that. The garden of God is not wealth. It is where there is worship. It is where God is with his people. And when God is with his people, he turns wilderness into a paradise. So Lot thinks he's found paradise, but what he has found is is the judgment of God. Abraham finds God, and there he finds his paradise. That's what the Bible was doing with Sodom and Gomorrah. And with all this other stuff I find fascinating. That's the main point I think we we need to see. So before we can look at the narrative, we, we need to explore all that. All right, I've probably bored you all this evening. But uh, anything you see, anything. So you need to give all this to Danny so I can get his thoughts on it. and correct me what I get wrong. All right. Good stuff. I find this stuff fascinating, so you have to forgive me when I nerd out. I don't have my glasses on today. So, well, how about we, we come up here?